<laughs> Welcome to Goosebumps. <laughs> a podcast from the boys at Overdue. My name is Craig. And I'm Andrew. And it's time for a monstrous mini-series. Listener, beware, you're in for a scare. And also eight podcasts focused on the books of jovial Bob Stein. (laughs) Robert Lawrence Stein. R.L. Stein. Okay, I gotta (laughs) gotta, gotta switch out of Batman mode. There for a second. I don't. He was like, "What if Batman was running a haunted house?" Is kind of what I got into there. Like he'd mm-hmm. retired. He's using all the old bat tricks to run mm-hmm. a spooky house for the kids. Andrew, yeah. why? Why do we haunt Master Way? <laughs> uh, some men just want to watch the world scream. Um, tell them what we're here Stein to do. The old, okay, what? Go. Tell us about Goosebumps. Goosebumps is a podcast within a podcast, like you said, where we're going to read eight Goosebumps books. The first four that were originally published. Well, no, not that anymore because we we already did that one. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, okay. Where's the? I got the list. The okay, we're going to go through eight Goosebumps books. Yeah. Welcome to Dead House. Stay out of the basement. Monster Blood. Say cheese and die. Again, Night of the Living Dummy, The Haunted Mask, A Night in Terror Tower, and Egg Monsters from Mars. We're building the bridge to Spooktober, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Keep the spooks we in got our hearts some of that, all year some long. Some of that Joe Biden infrastructure money, and we're building the bridge <laughs> to Spooktober. Thanks, Mayor Pete. Now, in case folks haven't listened to our other Goosebumps-focused episodes, of course, we're focusing on the Goosebumps books because this is the Goosebumps series. Um, we've talked about what the purple peanut butter one, and we've talked about say cheese and die the first one. Yes, and we've talked about Fear Street. Yes, but which is people, not goosebumps, but it is by Jovial Bob Stein. If people a slightly older age haven't listened to those, Andrew, just like just want to share your personal relationship with the Goosebumps series because I do know that that's going to inform a lot of our conversation yeah, in these episodes. I've told this story a bunch of times on this podcast over the last decade, but uh-huh. in case you haven't heard it before, I loved Goosebumps when I was a kid and I read them on the bus so much that the kids on the bus who were already pretty predisposed to making fun of me because I lived in like a kind of rundown old house and I was... I was weird. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, they called me Goosebumps. Huh. Goosebumps was my nickname. Hmm. And I was embarrassed about it for a long time, but then now I've embraced it. Yes. And I'm coming back. I'm glad that you're Just here. Call me Goosebumps. My name is Goosebumps. Howdy, Goosebumps. My name's still Craig. <laughs> I don't have a scary nickname. Um, mm. But yeah, I have not read as many Goosebumps books as you have. Yeah. I didn't read. I was looking through the... Because even the ones that I don't remember the plot synopses of, I have like a, this visceral sense memory of, yeah. the, of the covers because all the covers were just wild and, oh, and sure. very distinctive. And I know that I didn't finish the entire series. series. The, the original series ran between uh, 92 and 97 for okay. a total of 62 books. Sure. And I think I made it up to 
uh, number 51, Beware the Snowman. Okay. <laughs> I think, which happened in January 1997. I remember it had a cover that was just a very mad looking snowman on it. <laughs> <laughs> was that still? I guess Tim Jacobus was still doing those covers all the way through the first run because those yeah. things are aces. Yeah, they're pretty good. Um, pretty, pretty good. And but but before that, they're like there's. I wasn't reading all of them. Okay, sure. Like there, there's a gap between like say cheese and die again and beware the snowman. Even <laughs> like I wasn't getting all of them because yes. they were still kind of a special. And treat, they do but, uh, still continue. Bob's still yeah, out there still, cranking them out. He's still making Goosebumps books. Now they've been sort of rebranded under this like, slappy world slappy franchise. world header, which is a reference to the dummy and the Night of a Living Dummy. We'll meet him in a um, few months. I guess arguably his most iconic and character. most like returned to yeah. character. Yeah, I think so. Um uh, but a lot, but a lot of the books that we're going to read, including Say Cheese and Die Again and Monster Blood and Haunted Mask, were the subject of at least a couple of uh, different Goosebumps books, so yes. you know he's he's not he's a he's not a stranger to a sequel as is, is Jovial Bob. No, and I I presume that a lot of the books we're going to cover uh, were also made into episodes of the TV show that was made in the mid nineties. Yeah, so that ran from ninety five to ninety eight. Great, and like the like the book series was an anthology. Yes, series I which s- I note because there is there's a new Disney Plus series coming that's been yeah. picked up. That's gonna be one serialized story uh, that's just called Goosebumps, and I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, did you know that in the movie, the 2015 movie Jack Black With played Jack Black, yeah. R. L. Stein? Wow, he really? played a character named R. L. Stein. It was very meta, I believe. Hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't watch that one. No, I didn't. I think there might have been two of them. <laughs> um, but no, I saw in an article about the TV show. That the fact that it was an anthology series actually made it very difficult to cast. They just like, ran out of kids in Canada to put in the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they only the, are had, you part of the dark problem? It was just like like every single show that yeah. we enjoyed in the '90s was was cast exclusively using kids from Canada. <laughs> some of whom went on to become international stars, and some of whom did not. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's. I, I want to do a quick recap on Mr. Stein. Don't need to do the whole thing. We've got plenty of literature recorded on him on our show in the past. But this is a this is a whole separate project now. So yes. don't be afraid. I mean, we're going to be afraid enough when we start talking about this book. So don't be afraid to to get into the weeds on okay. Jovial Bob okay. if you need to. Um, and I've also got some stuff on the Scholastic Corporation or whatever they're called. Um, I don't know what other background research you want to do but i do want to make sure we talk about them today as well i think we're going to touch on them a little bit in the discussion about whether goosebumps use ghost writers <laughs> <laughs> okay um jovial bob stein rl stein was born in columbus ohio in 1943 uh, his mom was a homemaker his father was a shipping clerk his younger brother and sister bill and pam no one in his family ever called him rl everybody calls him bob um, well, I mean, that makes sense. He wrote for kids in the humor magazine Bananas under Robert Lawrence Stein. Uh, his first horror novel was in 1986 called Blind Date. He co-created Eureka's Castle, if you can believe that. Yeah, which is a sort of Muppet-adjacent uh-huh. I love <laughs> Eureka's program. Castle. Oh, I love Eureka's Castle, too. I, I don't know how... 
widely it's remembered. It feels to me like everybody I know remembers it, but I think that's just a function of being between four and six years old at exactly the right point in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, I couldn't remember. I don't know, know that I could remember any character's name at this exact moment. Other Magellan than Eureka. was Magellan's oh, Magellan. a dragon. You got Boggan Quagmire, who are the weird little yes, thank twins. You. What was uh, the name Bat, of the ba- Batley the Bat? Yes, Batley flies in the. What was the name of the guy with like all the the trinkets and the, the keys and stuff? I don't remember that. That guy. guy was the guy I was trying to think of though. What a fun uh, show. R.L. Stein said of Eureka's Castle, it was, quote, like Sesame Street, but we weren't teaching kids anything. <laughs> yeah. And that's a thing. That's a thing that has extended to Goosebumps, too. Like, it's basically the Seinfeld of kid lit where he's mm. on the record as saying, again, I quote, I thought it would be great to write a bunch of kids books where no one learns and no one grows. <laughs> <laughs> no hugging, no learning, only scares. We've been calling him Jovial Bob Stein because that's one of the names he used when he was writing in that magazine, Bananas. Yes, he was a humorist for a long time, wrote for the uh, the humor magazine mm-hmm. called The Sundial at mm. the Ohio State University oh. where he graduated in 1965. Um, I'll take it. Uh, but yeah, and then in the mid '80s, he just does this like pivot to horror. Yep. And then he the Fear Street series starts in 1989. Yep. Um, Goosebumps starts in 1992, and like during the height of of Bump Fever, uh-huh. in the '90s. So the book series is running from '92 to '97. TV show '95 to '98. Yeah. There are video games coming out. Yeah. There's the Choose Your Own Adventure styled series called Give Yourself Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote his first novel for adults called Superstitious in 1995. Um, just a lot of you know this man suspiciously productive, one might say. Uh-huh. And so there have been many questions that have haunted him Jesus. through the years about whether he used ghost writers and he has insisted including in a 2013 reddit ama that he's never used ghost writers that it's all been him huh it's all bob stein all the time and that he just never never has done that so a little background on that like Going all the way back to like Hardy Boys and Nancy mm. Drew, like those books by the Stratemeyer Syndicate that we've talked about, a yeah, few times yeah, on yeah, the yeah. show. Um, it is pretty common for these like series, uh, kid and YA books to early on, it was common for them to just be attributed to a person who didn't exist and just whoever would write them. <laughs> but with examples like the Boxcar Children, the Babysitters Club, you you do have a real person who started them, who launched them, and then uh, either the original creator died, or like got too busy or tired, and the brand was continued using ghostwriters, but the books are still credited to the original uh, original authors' names. Yeah, just did you um, did you pull up info on the Babysitters Club? Because I'm just looking right now. It says something like. Uh, the original author claims she wrote about 60 to 80 of the some yes, 200 yeah. of them, right? Yeah, and, and M. Martin yeah. of the Babysitter's Club. Um, uh, the per- <laughs> Nick Larangis, who composes the theme of our regular show, is the son of <laughs> Peter Larangis, who is a famous ghostwriter of the Babysitter's I Club. I had forgotten and, like, about we that. Haven't, we've never called that favor in, but I feel like we've got to at some point. This There's another the book podcast that kind of has the Babysitter's Club. yeah thing kind of cornered but i feel like we could get we could sneak in there and get a taste yeah i think so at some point um but he's yeah so he is he's been adamant this whole time he doesn't use ghostwriters he says 
this is a quote contained in a 1997 paper presented at the National Council of Teachers of English conference. Sure. Which, hey, teachers of English, find a better name for your conference. Use, use the language you teach a little <laughs> bit better. Uh, he said at one point that he will spend two to three days outlining his books. Um, and then it take, he says it takes me 10 days to write a Fear Street book, eight days for a Goosebumps. Huh. Um, and his wife and editor Jane Stein says uh, most writers like having written, but they don't really like writing because it's really hard. He actually likes writing. He really does enjoy the process. That's very, very special and very lucky for him. I found and multiple one, interviews. That is a personal attack okay. on me as a writer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I was just going to say I found multiple interviews where he talks about how he comes up with the titles first. There's a great quote in the back of the edition of this book I, yes, that I read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that Q&A. Where um, someone asks him, uh, you know, where does he get titles for his books? Where does he get ideas? And he says, I always think of a title <laughs> for a book. Rules so then hard. the idea starts to take shape in my mind. For instance, Goosebumps Horrorland 13, When the Ghost Dog Howls. Having that title makes me think, when does the dog howl? And why is he a ghost? And where does he come from? <laughs> Answering those questions gives me the start of a story. I hope you like the book. <laughs> Why is he a ghost is the funniest question I've ever. Like, you just put ghost in fr- like as an adjective in front of any animal. And you're like, well, why is he a ghost? That's a goosebump story. <laughs> he said that the, um, we'll talk about this, I bet, with the haunted mask. Is that what it's called? Mask, yeah. mask boy? The um, haunted mask. Inspired by a time his son could. <laughs> Get a Halloween mask off. Yeah. I mean, you just, you get inspiration wherever it comes. Yeah. When you're writing these books in eight days. It's true. You kind of just literally are looking around at your desk and, and writing in, like, oh, the, the haunted staple puller. In one interview, he said, he responded to the fact that he'd been called Stephen King for 30, uh, Stephen King for kids. Uh, and after 30 years, he finally met Stephen King. He said, one magazine called me a literary training bra for you. And Stephen King said, yes, I know. <laughs> Let's get to this book real quick. Well, I mean, oh. I, I wanted to address further address oh, the ghostwriting. Oh, go ahead. Because sorry, there sorry. is so. So maybe you ran into this in your in your research of the Scholastic Company. Maybe. But one reason why there was this like faltering of the goosebump series in the late nineties is because there is this protracted legal battle between uh scholastic and parachute. Yes. Which I think parachute is the company that sort of packages his books. Like he's writing them for parachute and then scholastic sure. distributes them. I could be wrong about that. Keep going. But it's yeah. But so maybe you can. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm looking something. now. Awesome. Uh, but there's this legal battle between Scholastic and Parachute going on for like merchandising rights and and adaptations and and all kinds of stuff. And as a result of this legal fighting, there is this big, um, this this there's the a record of this court case with testimony from Scholastic that says that Stein wrote like the first sixteen Goosebumps books, but then. Uh, contracted a lot of the rest of it out to ghostwriters. Oh. So like th- there's one version of reality where Bob Stein wrote every book himself. He's just a machine. And I'm not discounting that. Like, Yeah. Um, and then there's another version of reality. Never like never conclusively proven, 
but the one that Scholastic forwards in this case, where he is writing outlines and he has like creative input on every single book, but he's not actually he's Banksy. doing the work of writing every single yeah. Goosebumps book himself. He's running an art studio. He's the art sure. director. <laughs> um, so Parachute Publishing, um, now I think Parachute... Uh, Parachute Press might be a division of them. The Parachute Publishing website doesn't work. The, Paras- the Parachute Press one does. Okay. Um, apparently, one of the founders is uh, R.L. Stein's wife, Jane. Yes. Among others. Uh, and they kind of got their start, or at least broke through, publishing uh, Fear Street. They were publishing Mary-Kate and Ashley books and things like that. And so, yeah, I believe that they would have... Um, also been involved in the Goosebumps series, and that would explain why there would be some back and forth with Scholastic, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because... And Scholastic at the time just had this incredible yeah. monopoly, this this grip. I don't, I don't know what your experience of this was like in elementary school, uh, but like every time there's a book fair, every time there's anything like official happening. So in terms of like books at school, it is scholastic everywhere. Like check. one year we had a troll book fair and that sucked. There yes. was no books at it that no, it was anybody bad. wanted to read. But like if you're sitting in English class in middle school or even late elementary school, they drop that catalog and they're like, hey, the book fair is coming next week. You spend 10 minutes in English class just leafing through the catalog. Yeah. What books and am I going to get? And then your mom gives you five, 10 bucks, whatever your yep. budget is. And then you just, you're a kid in a bookstore. So... Uh, you go into the, the school <laughs> library and they have all the book fair things yeah. set up and you just get what you want. Oh, it was so good. Scholastic was founded in 1920 by a guy named Maurice Robinson here in Pennsylvania. It started as a series of youth magazines, mostly like focusing on high school sports and athletics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in the 40s, it got into the book club business, like kind of reselling books to small schools and things like that. Um, it got into book publishing in the 60s, and then by the 70s, it was getting into TV. Clifford the Big Red Dog premieres in 1963, which is a big hit for Scholastic. And then in That the, dog's so big. That dog is huge. <laughs> um, and then, That's the thing about those books is that dog is so big. In 1981, when they're really cranking into the book fair business, Scholastic buys California school book fairs. And then two years later, they buy Great American Book Fairs. And that is how they set up the business that we are all familiar with. Um, they kind of took a bath on some computer software in the early 80s and like <laughs> bought all their stock back. And then in 1986, the Magic School Bus hits and the Babysitter's Club hits. Mm-hmm. And then th- those two roll right into Goosebumps. And then all those three kind of carry them through the 90s, you know, Clinton boom years of like TV, <laughs> movies, and video games. Um, and also while that's happening, they are rolling out this really like heavily market researched uh, set of curricular materials. They are just like selling lesson plans and like packaged classroom materials to yeah, teachers. I mean, you've got the you got the foothold in the classroom already yes. through the books that the kids actually want to read. So yes. why not also give them the ones that they have to so read? So you've got Clifford Big Red Dog, Magic School Bus, Captain Underpants, Animorphs, Babysitter's Club, I Spy, Goosebumps, uh Dog Man more recently. The other thing that really catapulted them in the in the late nineties into the two thousands, um they were the U.S. distributors of Harry Potter, right. as well as the distributors or publishers of The Hunger Games. 
So like their hold on those two franchises just they're too big to fail at this point now. Um, I did find a quote or two from an NPR article in 2013. Uh, talking to one of their competitors who says, clearly they are driven by market forces, <laughs> but I think they also pay <laughs> a lot of attention to the latest research. Uh, like any good entrepreneurial company, they are out to make a buck. Uh, Scholastic may be out to make a buck, but the company also says it is committed to worldwide literacy. It's a heady goal, uh, which dovetails perfectly with the business of selling kids books. <laughs> I don't that, think there's a conflict is... <laughs> in any way between our mission and our business, Robinson says. He was in charge. In fact, they're united in the necessity, re- really, of children acquiring reading skills, of learning more about the world, and learning more about themselves through reading. I think this, this is why I need to figure out how how to get an analyst job, because I cannot... I would have trouble thinking of a less insightful thing to say than, wow, this company really pays attention to market forces. I think the reason, like, okay, that's, sorry. That's not, it's not anything. It's nothing. I might be giving that, I'm, I think that quote gave that guy less credit than he deserved. He was responding, no, he was responding to a, like a discussion about the fact that like they are playing in the education space. They are playing in the direct services to school space but they are not a non-profit like a lot of the things that they kind of purport to be as this like worldwide leader in literacy and like getting kids to read like none of that has it's any, not it's not altruism it's not mission-based it is purely private enterprise and yeah. like the only reason it might be the thing that it is is because of the couple of people who've been in charge and then the quality of people they've been able to hire um but like the the business itself is not an incorporated 501c3 with a literacy mission like they are coming <laughs> into your school and running a capitalist enterprise in the gym so kids leave with more captain underpants yeah right so and like it's it's good i mm. i guess that that kids read yes is it good that they come in and are like kids buy these books like i don't know maybe it's fine is it, is it i it's good that kids can find books that they want to read yes is it is it good that they're sort of being force funneled like there is a co- imagine that there it's, is a non-book company imagine that mcdonald's comes into your school i mean and it's been announced like weeks ahead of time McDonald's is coming. They're going to set up in the gym and everybody's going to go just going to get some free time in the middle of the day for no reason yeah. to just go see what McDonald's has to offer. This is like getting a getting like one of those Coke remix machines in your cafeteria at school. Ooh. How 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 exciting would that be? It would be very exciting. And this yet, is your your rich guy thing would be never wear a pair of socks twice. My rich guy thing would be have a Coke Coke, Coke, remix. Coke remix machine in my office. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> That's a lot of individual syrups that you'd have. To I, keep would, I would have to have like a syrup closet. I think, like <laughs> again, like a McDonald's. But this is you know, I would be rich, so it, I would be able to. We're rich anyway. Time to talk about the book. Andrew, our first in the Goosebumps series. And the first Goosebumps book. The Even though in the, the reissue series, I think it's like number three or something. It's not the first one. This book, Welcome to Dead House, was published in July 1992, original cover by Tim Jacobus. Um, it was made into a two-part episode of the Goosebumps TV show. 
I could not confirm or deny if R.L. Stein had ever actually written the prequel Happy Holidays from Dead House. It was part of that Goosebumps Gold series, which may or may not exist. Yeah, so it, it made it. There, there was a sequel focused on one of the the kid, the other kid characters in the book, and it was it's rumored to either be to have been planned or like possible, possibly outlined or partially written. Like yeah. it made it as far as getting an Isbin number. Okay, and an Amazon listing. Like oh, is that it, the it one was, that has was, the Phantom Amazon reviews? <laughs> it has the Phantom Goodreads reviews. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like it was, it was in the system. Okay, and then it just never, it never ended up happening. Um, there was a film adaptation that almost happened with a script by George Romero. You can really? read, you can find that script in the library at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, at one point, it was on the calendar for a film release with Burton, Tim Burton attached, but it fell apart due to Tim Burton's, uh, you know, Superman project that also went nowhere. Uh, Romero introduced a character that doesn't exist in the book, the town patriarch who was responsible for the accident that doomed the town um, and kind of turns the town into a series of like, uh, they're zombies, but they don't want to be zombies. And so you like aren't at, you're kind of sad for them, even when you're scared of them. We, yeah, we can we can talk about this, this but tension. He leans into that thing that he has done in some of his other movies and um, kind of turns it even more explicitly into this like haunted company town thing that happens. Um, but let's get into this book, Andrew. I had not read this before ever. I had read, I know I've, I've read this one multiple times. Like one of the foundational goosebumps. Texts sure. In my, in my collection was a box set of the first four. Okay. Okay. So dead house basement, uh, monster blood, I think, and say cheese and die. Yes. Very, a very iconic set of books, but I will, I'll tell you, I did not remember the plot of this one. Like I didn't remember anything about this book going in. It is. If, if you read about the reception to this as like an early goosebumps book, you're, you'll see people talking about it being a shade gorier and also a little less silly than some subsequent Goosebumps books, yes. which I think is to its detriment in terms of like memory. Like everybody's going to remember the mm. one with the ventriloquist dummy who comes alive. Everybody remembers the one with the green goop that makes you big if you eat it. I don't know that anybody remembers the one where it's just like, yeah, this family is in a haunted town it and feels the town's haunted. Th- and that's yeah, the thing. There were beats in this one that reminded me of that first Fear Street book. That were it's just kind of younger. Yeah, it's, right? it's a little younger. It's just kind of and and this is why I'm sort of surprised they picked this one to make a movie out of because well, it never got made. But no, I mean, but th- but they were trying to. Yeah, sure. And instead of using one of the ones with a more like iconic hook or more like yeah. visually interesting hook, they they pick the one that is maybe the most pastiche of all the, yeah, <laughs> of the I, well, other that, Goosebumps books. I wonder if that also means that they, you know, it, the two people that were purported to work on it were Romero and Burton. So it was going to be whatever they wanted. I like, I think this by being pastiche and kind of a little by the numbers in terms of a scary story for kids, 
like there was a lot of room for someone else to play with it as opposed to like having to really capture the R.L. Steinness of it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he even said in a BuzzFeed interview, I didn't have the formula then to combine funny and scary. I hadn't really figured it out. And if I were redoing Welcome to Dead House, I think I'd put in some funny stuff and make it a little less intense. Yeah. I mean, it is it is intense for a kid's book, for sure. Very like, much You so. get like descriptions of... Not a lot of like, fl- like flesh hanging off yeah. of skulls yes. and like, oh, hey, your dog is dead. Yep. And he smells real bad. And he smells bad because he's dead. Yep. And then you'd like free some th- spirits from their suffering that yeah. was imposed by a capitalist. Like, There's <laughs> no jokes in this just book. Just a, a lack of regulation at the plastic factory. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> the opening line, Josh and I hated our new house. Let's talk about the name. I think we're going to have to keep a running list of kid names. Josh and Amanda. Because they're all just like 90s I like that white idea. kid yes. names. So it's like you got Josh and Amanda. Uh-huh. And mom and dad, who as far as I know are not named. Mom has black hair and dad is a little overweight. Dad those has the, a tummy. Those yeah. are the two descriptors that we get. Yeah. Um, but yes, Josh and Amanda. Amanda's the main character, POV character. The Benson family is going to move to Dark Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, they are being shown around their new spooky house by a, a real estate agent named Compton Dawes. That should be a big red flag right yeah. there. Whose, yeah. name, whose name is Compton Dawes? Who's a, not a ghost? He says it's a family name, but he's it's the only one in his family who has it or something like that. <laughs> <sighs> okay. I mean, I guess... I guess he says you're in your you're in your family and you have a name, yeah. so it's a family name. Um, and he says he's only been in town for a few months, but you know it's a good place. Um, they ask if there's any other kids who live on the you know in the neighborhood, and he says there's a school two blocks away. Very careful that answer. Very careful that answer. Interesting how he didn't talk about kids who live in the town. Andrew, you want to tell me how they got this new house? <laughs> Some uncle who Doofy Dad has never actually heard of died and left them this house. Uh-huh. And Doofy and and another thing I kind of want to keep track of is like parents and goosebumps books. Sure. And talking about how they fit into the trope of like not clueless 90s parent who's just kind of not around so that the kids can do whatever they want. These are these are <laughs> sitcom parents a few seasons in when the kids have gotten old enough to carry full plot lines on their own and you don't see the adults that often anymore. That's I think it's just it's just I mean it's it's goosebumps slash are you afraid of the dark parents where they just or even like some of the Stranger Things kids, yeah, parents, sure. Where they're just they're just not around because it's easier to set up a horror premise if you don't have somebody who's so like rationally minded around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like they they exist mostly to seem like they hate having kids and to make their kids go outside and go away from the house. Um, when. When dad got the letter from the lawyer, he let out a loud whoop and began dancing around the living room. Josh and I thought he'd flipped or something. My great uncle Charles has left us a house in his will, he explained. It's in a town called Dark Falls. Huh? Josh and I cried. Where's Dark Falls? Dad shrugged. I don't remember your uncle Charles, mom said. Uh, Neither do I, admitted dad, but he must have been a great guy. Wow, this sounds like an incredible house. (sighs) He's going to quit. Dad giving me big, like, 
pick the mystery box uh-huh. energy. Like he's <laughs> not the sharpest. He's going to quit his job <laughs> and be a writer, Andrew. I do. Like I understand dad's excitement when not having a mortgage payment. Oh yeah. Like, can you can you imagine the amount of income that it frees up? Not to be Jeez. making a house payment. Uh, just, just, just the funnest. The funnest part about home ownership is to get on the old mortgage servicer website mm, and look at the proportion that goes toward the principal of your loan versus the amount that goes mm, into interest. And then you're just like, how is this legal to do this to people? Then you start looking around and go, "Welcome to my dead house." Yeah, this is my dead house. I'm um, going to die. I'm going to die in this house. <laughs> uh, Amanda says, "Once Dad managed to sell the old place, we wouldn't have to worry at all about money anymore." I don't know that that's true, but I mean, if it's, it's a nice pure, sentiment, if it's it's say okay, so how nice Josh is their Amanda, old house? Josh and Amanda have lived in this house for their entire lives. So let's say that Dozen mom years. and dad are like halfway into a thirty-year mortgage. Sure. Um, oh, and, so you're you know, saying they're going to make a lot on the sale? I'm saying they're going to make a decent amount because they will have they will have a good amount of equity built up. Yeah. There will have been a lot of time for the house to sort of accrue value. Uh huh. And that's going to be sort of pure profit for them because they don't have another house payment to worry about. Like they're just going to get the money and they're going to have the money. Now, that depending on where the house is, it's going to be like what, a couple hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. In 90s I don't think money? it's going to last them until the kids are in college. But think about, think about how. I my mom won fifty dollars in a radio call in uh-huh. contest when when we were kids. Maybe it was a hundred dollars. Whoa! And that felt like how could we possibly like we're just we got it made now we got a hundred dollars. Yes, like how could we how could we possibly from Amanda's spend perspective? We're gonna sell a house and we're gonna just eat pate for the rest of our lives yeah like i'm just i'm gonna eat nothing but lobster and if it's not lobster i will send it back yes to the kitchen to our butler (laughs) who will have now i appreciate how fast this family is moving they come to see this house and we'll talk a little bit more about this visit in just a second but then maybe a week later they're gonna move there (laughs) like it's not yeah i was a little confused at the beginning of the book because i didn't quite understand the timeline of them like they're coming to see that the house exists and then they're going to finish up their move and like get they're going to pack up their stuff and then move over it felt a little Mm -hmm. a little wonky but anyway um their dog doesn't like compton Petey, the dog Petey, the the dog's name yes Petey's the dog he's a little terrier or something um, and he doesn't like Mr. Compton. Mr. Compton also wears, Mr. Dawes, rather, also wears a big black cowboy hat to block out the sun. Yeah, that seems normal. <laughs> uh, the neighborhood is dark. There's dead plants everywhere. And there's nobody around. It's just there's kind no of dead around. silent. No one around. All the time. But it's fine. Like, and the house, the house seems okay. Like it, it's described as being very run down, but they just kind of move all their stuff in and hang curtains, and it seems basically welcoming. Yes. Now, before seems like they, it's basically move in ready. Before they move there, during that visit, Amanda sees a boy standing in standing in the window in the doorway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the window, it's scary. She doesn't know where this boy came from, and then he's gone. 
It's spooky. Yeah, so she she is seeing, and we get a little bit from Josh too, but he's not the main character, so no. we only really hear his side of it through Amanda. But yeah, she sees this boy in the window. Once they move in, she hears like this whispering and giggling in the in the closet, and yep. sees this like dark haired girl staying at the top of the stairs, like classic ring kid yes. stuff. Uh huh. And the parents in their role as doofy 90s parents immediately go to, you're a stupid liar idiot and you can't possibly have seen what you thought you saw. Like I was, I was astounded. Like the parents in Welcome to Dead House get an F minus for parenting. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to write this down too because I feel like we need to. You start grading the parents. Dead house parents at one point f minus because one at one point pd runs away and they are both like oh i can't i will i refuse to look for this dog one dad doesn't even care and mom is like we'll go looking after we eat lunch I think like there's refers, no urgency she says about josh i will kill him because <laughs> josh also ran away to josh find briefly Petey. ran away yeah and so you like dad in particular th- there's this line that amanda has where she she talks about uh, so she's she's seen this like girl at the at the top of the stairs. Yeah. And she is really she's like shaken by it. And she calls dad over and dad says, Amanda, please. He replied, making a face. Stop seeing things. OK, there's no one in this house except the four of us and maybe a few mice. Uh, dad, I didn't imagine it. I said, my voice cracking. I was really hurt that he didn't believe me. Yeah, it's really rough. And that that line made me so sad. Yeah. Is that the scene where he says, it's not a girl, it's clothes? Yeah. What a jerk. (laughs) It's just clothes, Dad said impatiently. It's not a girl, it's clothes. He rolled his (laughs) eyes. That line made me laugh. But Someone save me from my horrible, sarcastic dad. The real horror of this book is dad. Who doesn't care if I live or die. Um, (sighs) And that's after... So, okay, so the, the... the, when Petey runs away in the first visit, he runs to the graveyard. We're going to come back to that. Grave, there's a graveyard in this town. It's spooky. Petey doesn't like it. It's pretty spooky. Um, they move all their stuff in. We start seeing more of the people. At one point, Amanda calls Josh a sicko because they're pranking each other. Um, she has a really scary dream where the whole family is dead. They're skeletons and they're eating bones. The four of us, all dead, sat eating in silence. Our dinner plates, I saw, were filled with small bones. A big platter in the center of the table was piled high with gray-green bones, human-looking bones. And, like, her friend from her old town is, like, banging on the door. <laughs> like, let me in. And she's like, I can't. I'm stuck to this dining room table as a skeleton girl eating, eating bones. bones. Yeah. Um, so that's all spooky. And then they meet Ray Thurston. They re- they meet Ray Thurston, who, which also is obviously a ghost name. Yeah, obviously. But he's just kind of a, he's a creepy kid, and he introduces them to a bunch of other neighborhood creepy kids, and they kind of sort of make friends with these kids, these kids who really only want to come out and play there's when there's cloud really cover. Spook- <laughs> yeah. Well, f- she goes, you're the boy in my house. And his response is, I used to live in your house. Yeah, and more than one person says, I used to live in your house. Yeah, at one point she says, where is everyone? It's really dead around here, huh? And he goes, yeah, I guess you could say that. Everybody in this book's dropping all these hints. Yep. Yeah, they meet all these. They meet the creepy kids. The creepy kids circle around them with baseball bats, and then the realtor shows up, and they back off, and then, yeah, they play cloudy baseball. And this, I had a question about this, Andrew. Okay. They start 
the book kind of yada yadas two weeks of creepy baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah, we hung out in the park with these people and we kind of talked and it, it's hard to get to know them, but I, they were other kids and I do feel like dude, things are things are looking up for old Amanda. Like I got used to all the weird whispering in my closet. Yeah. This, this, this house seems fine. The next plot development is that Petey disappears again two weeks later. Petey has run off. Petey and another okay so here's another thing that goes into the parents grade of f minus which uh-huh. we have established is that moving to dead falls is the first time that these people have leashed their dog yeah it's pretty bad <laughs> it's pretty bad so they put pd on a leash and while they're playing softball with the dead kids yeah they secure pd to the fence with his leash now, we and then pd pd runs away we keep calling them dead kids they don't know. They don't know empirically. Amanda and Josh don't know that they're dead. But kids. we do. We know that they're dead. We kids. know. Yeah. Um. I like the bit. I was confused by the bit where Petey has run away, and the parents agree that they're going to try and help find Petey again, but not until after they eat something. They call the local police. What? Are the police ghosts too? Yeah, in this town, everybody in Dead Falls is a ghost. Craig, there was a there was an accident at the plastic factory. I haven't. And heard yellow that. gas was released, and everybody became undead. That's, that's true. That's what we learn later. Yeah, an accident at the plastics factory. Yeah, and yellow gas was released, and now, yeah. oh man. Okay, so they're gonna go and, find and, and, and people, you know. These robber barons are just like, I don't, I want to be able to vent whatever yellow gas I want into the atmosphere and the nanny state shouldn't be telling me what to do. Uh huh. Speaking of a nanny state, there's no nanny. I'm sure whoever owned this plastic factory is like a sitting U.S. senator yes. now in the world of, of Dead House. I think that's what George Romero wanted to add to the movie. Which doesn't, um, d- did you clock that this this seems to take place in the near future because one of the kids' gravestones had the year 2004 I have on a question it? about that. We're going to talk okay, about sure. that. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so Petey goes missing. They call the cops, can't find him, and then the parents go, wow, I've been, we got to go to a party. <laughs> We got to go to a neighborhood party that we got invited to. Hope you kids don't mind being alone in this creepy house. Sad that your dog ran away. Go to sleep. And even even then, dad, like in full like sociopath misanthrope mode is like, well, I don't want to go to this party, but I guess we should be neighborly. And I was like, who invited them? What is what is your passion, Dad? We haven't. What's your deal? We haven't seen an adult other than Compton Dawes. That's the point, though. That's the that's where mom and dad have mom and dad have their own lives. They've probably gone to the ghostly supermarket, yeah, <laughs> and run into ghostly adults, and they're making friends the same way. Sure, that the kids are making friends, except where the kids are playing ghost softball, the adults are talking about ghost taxes, like, ghostly like. Uh, interest rates yes. and stuff like it's it's all adult stuff but because that's that's the beauty of goosebumps is it's kid centric and so mom and dad have lives but we don't need to really know about kid centric mother disapproved we um, just we just experience them as petty dictators which <laughs> is... so josh thinks that pd must have gone to the cemetery again he wakes up amanda he's got a halogen flashlight and he says we're going to the cemetery we're gonna go find our dog they bump into Ray, and Ray is like, yeah, weird bumping into you in the street. Don't think you should go to the graveyard. Yeah, it would be bad if you went to the graveyard. Don't do it. 
and they find an outdoor amphitheater under a giant tree and go, huh, that's weird. And Ray goes, please don't go to the graveyard. What's that, what's that video game where you point the flashlight at like, the Wake. ghosts? Yeah, Alan Wake. Yes. And then it turns into Alan Wake because it does. Josh points the flashlight at Ray and he like melts into a pile of bones let me, and he's dead. Let me. So Ray is like, please don't. They, they look at the gravestones. They find Petey. He smells really bad because he's dead and a ghost dog now. But they don't. They don't immediately know that. It's just Petey's acting weird. He doesn't seem happy to see them, and he stinks. Well, yes. And then Ray is like, they kill the dogs first, which because they because they know first, which is very a very horror tropey of them. They, the animals always know first. And this is when our kids find the gravestones. Andrew, they find Karen's gravestone, George's gravestone, and Ray's gravestone. And yes, George and Ray lived from 1991 to 2004 or 1993 to 2004 mm-hmm. definitely updated dates i think i don't think oh, really that, i don't know do you think he was writing into the future when he wrote the original book i guess i don't hmm, i don't know because the because the edition i, I would have really, read would have been I, the re-release i wondered version. going in if there were going to be little like retcons and updates and stuff that I, that I noticed, but then I didn't. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't occur to me when, because when did this re-release happen? Hold on. Let me look. Let me look at the beginning of the book. Real quick. Um, Let's see the, the, the copyright for was. my edition that includes some of the extra stuff says February, 2010 for so, the I mean, bonus if were, material. If you were going to, update it wouldn't you update more than just that one thing and make it last later anyway it's such a weird thing it It jumped out at me and i don't i don't have an original edition if we have listeners um who are reading like og welcome to dead house printed editions Please let us know what the dates are. Andrew, maybe... On the gravestones, yeah. Yeah, the dates on the gravestones, particularly for the kids, because the one... Nobody on the internet has wondered about this except for us. Oh, so man. We're, we're the first to get here. We got to find out. So let us know. Send us an email over to potagemo.com. Um But Ray is like, I'm the watcher. I was supposed to keep you around until like we were ready to eat you. Because we need your energy to your and your blood to live for another year, uh-huh. and so um, he grabs Amanda and Josh hits him with the Alan Wake flashlight, and it says, "I stared in the circle of white light, unable to look away." As Ray's skin folded and drooped and melted away, as the bone underneath was revealed, his eyeballs rolled out of their sockets and fell silently to the ground. <laughs> Bob, this is a book yeah, it's, for kids. It's pretty, it's pretty intense for a kids book, and I, I do. I remember subsequent Goosebumps books definitely not going as hard on like the descriptions of of flesh and like bones. Oh, no, it's si- it's way sillier. It's like, oh, you're a bat now. It's not like let's get into the body horror of being turned into a bat or something. Wait, okay. Uh oh, right, you may have on. you found the. The solution to the mystery. I'm just, I'm just trying to match up. Where is the? Okay. Uh, 
George Carpenter cares. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. This ha- this has been updated. I think. Okay. So I found a PDF <laughs> upload of the original book, which is fine to use on air because we did buy the original. It's like when you buy Super Mario World and then you play an emulator. I mean, this this is fine. all this is all fair use. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. It's just fair it's, use. Fair use. Fair use. TM. TM. Yeah. TM. Uh. So in the original book, Karen Somerset's Grave, nineteen sixty to seventy-two. Oh. In the updated book, seventy-seven to eighty-nine. Uh, so the one in question in the uh, in the edition we read, George Carpenter is listed from ninety one to two thousand four. In the original book, George Carpenter is listed as ninety or nineteen seventy five to nineteen eighty eight. That makes sense. So okay. definitely, yeah the the latest date on any of the tombstones in the original it was eighty eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Ray Ray Thurston ninety three to two thousand four in the updated version. Uh, seventy-seven to eighty-eight in the original version. That, so the good catch, good catch. That makes sense, just because the book is trying to, you know, it's it's trying to center it on these kids. It's trying to center it on these undead kids, like, and trying to center it on the reader's age, and so to keep it all kind of in that same history seems fair. Okay, I you go you continue and I have one Uh-oh. more update thing that oh, can't I need wait. to look up. Okay, so they um they inadvertently re-kill Ray and then they run With back the flashlight. Yeah, they run back to their house and all the ghost kids are there. The ghost kids are like, "Haha, we're dead in your house and we don't live here anymore we're dead here and they <laughs> which which rules as a, rule. yeah, um they admit that the letter was a trick there's no great uncle um and as they're attacking josh and amanda mr dawes shows up to quote unquote help them um he says so you've seen them referring to the dead kids and he says he left the parents at the amphitheater and told them to stay still uh, so he takes them to the graveyard. Uh, he reveals that the yellow gas escaped from the factory, killed everyone, and made them undead. Oh, damn. Okay. I, I found that. Th- so there's a point at the beginning of the book where Amanda's looking at her new room, and she says, she thinks to herself, my desk can go over here. I'll have room for a computer now. Oh. And that, do- that does appear in the original. It does. I was wondering if, if there had been an update. <laughs> Like a typewriter, to acknowledge the existence of computers. like widely available personal computers, sure. and I guess that was uh, it's enough of the of a thing in the early nineties. Well, yeah, because when did when did Clarissa Explain It All come out? That's the I mean, first. That was, that was like the late eighties as, as well, right? Early nineties, maybe. Yeah, I think I, right. it's all in the same kid slime, you know, mess in my head. Miasma, yeah, and then ninety one is 91. the first date okay, for sure. for Clarissa. I mean, she was a computer whiz, so. Yeah, she was awesome at computers. Yeah. She like coded indie, indie video Custom games. Custom games based on her life. Based on her horrible brother mostly. God, the original itch.io on Clarissa's computer. Um <laughs> anyway, so that now that they know that uh Mr. Dawes is bad, they escape from him, they hit him with a flashlight, but they don't burn him up. And their plan Andrew, I didn't really understand <laughs> the plan. To defeat the town of Dark Falls, where all the ghost people were at the theater to eat the parents. They go to like this Greek amphitheater <laughs> that they have in the in the cemetery, and all the entire town's denizens have gathered there to sacrifice this new family because every year they need blood. Yeah, and there's like a tree 
That's giving like, them shade. The, the only thing that's protecting the amphitheater from the light of the deadly sun. Which is not how light works, but anyway. Is this is this tree. Yeah. And so they Amanda and Josh decide they're gonna like push the tree over and it's expose an everybody to yeah, expose everybody to the sun. I think that's what happens. And so they do it. Yeah, there's like a there's like a doofy cliffhanger where Earl Stein's like, guess the tree's not gonna the move. The tree didn't move, and then the beginning of the next chapter is like, oh, the tree did move. Yes. And <laughs> all the ghosts melt. In- including the Karen or whoever the like oh. Amanda's closest ghost friend yes. was who says like, Oh, thank you. Which raises a quite like, yeah, these ghost dead people do seem to have a self preservation instinct, but also they didn't want to be alive anymore. So, I mean, I it's guess unclear. Yeah. It's messy. I don't know. Like maybe there are people who used to be dead, dead alive in this town who just kind of ran out onto the beach and ended it all. Maybe. In the rays yeah. the, in the, the rays of the bright shining sun. Yeah, maybe. But most of the people in the town, I guess, seems like they can't really help themselves. Yeah, Ray seemed pretty broken up, both emotionally and literally, about what happened to him. Um, yes, because he had a flashlight shine on him, and then he became a pile of bones. Yeah. Um, and their parents are like, so glad, so happy you saved us, but we don't talk about what happened. We don't talk. There's no denouement. They're just like, okay. And then we moved away from the house and there was a family who was moving in after us. And I guess they're just, they got to figure it out for themselves. Bye. And yeah. they just like motor off into the sunset without warning this other, essentially they murder this other family that shows up at the end of the Cause, book. Because Amanda sees what she thinks is a guy who looks like Mr. Dawes. Unclear, because we don't know how the reincarnation system works. I, I've got to imagine it's a Pac-Man system where the when you kill the ghost, they become a pair of eyeballs who goes and they float in a box for a while. And then once they bounce yes. back and forth enough times, they come back out as a fully formed corporeal Honestly, ghost. the only system that makes sense. Thank you. <laughs> um, and she sees a girl going into that house and she kind of like just doesn't know what to say and she says i used to live in your house and then they get in the car and drive away and then they leave and they just leave these kids to die and i now when she says that line is that just rl stein being cute and closing the book on the book or has something happened to this family no the family's alive i think the family's alive okay she she is playing on like it, my I don't think she's reco- saying it like I don't think she's being clever. No, my my recollection is like she 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 realizes as she's saying it. That, yes. That it's a play on what the kids have told her. Yes. And so it's just it's just jovial Bob putting a little button on the thing. I sure. I don't think it's I don't think it's meant to tell us that mom and dad and Josh Amanda and, Amanda. and Josh are all dead. Okay. Okay. Just they all get to go back. They all get to go back to their own their their old house, and uh, I guess get another dog. I guess. and hope that there are no ghosts hitching a ride in the couch cushions yeah. or anything. I guess I wonder if they sold their house yet. It's only been like three. They weeks. hadn't. They they specifically mentioned that they hadn't sold the house yet. Amanda, huh. Amanda's like, well, it's a good thing we didn't sell our house because the new one ended up being like haunted by these horrible homicidal ghosts. Can you imagine being dad going back to his stupid office job, being like, well, uh, I, 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 th- I do. I think he's got to pull like a George Costanza, just like act like 
he was he just show up and and hope that nobody says anything acts like he never left huh you said you were all better than us and you were going to write the great american novel four weeks ago mm-hmm. nice vacation huh mm-hmm. andrew did you um i know you read the q a did you flip into the hungry for you section in the book i did i did see that and it was so silly that i was I just flipped on past it. Bloodsucker. This is not written by uh, R.L. Stein. This is written by um, another guy. I'm going to try and find his name here real quick. Uh, it is... Oh, what is his name? Matthew Payne, I okay. think. That's a good horror I name. I think. It's because the he is credited with the Behind the Screams bonus material. <laughs> Uh, and this is a page that has some text and then a graph. It says, Bloodsuckers, Brain Eaters. The children in Welcome to Dead House are just a few of the many creatures dead and living who can all agree that you are their favorite food. Hopefully you won't run into the hideous creatures on this list. And then it's like, Mosquito, dead or living, living, favorite food, your blood. And then it talks about getting bitten by a mosquito. It's just a bunch of stuff that wants to eat you. In addition to like the ghosts in the dead house, mosquitoes, vampires, <laughs> werewolves, zombies, ticks, and brain amoebas. Yeah, I just don't like. I don't want to. It's it's a wild thing to put in the book. I don't want to describe the entire contents of an Excel spreadsheet on the air, but it's it's a, there's some weird stuff back it's here. It's just weird. And yeah, there's a. Whole... I did like the sort of. The thing that I think ends it, which is the the weird sort of Mad Libs where you're supposed to, like, it gives you a template for a basic haunted house story. Yes. That you're supposed to put, like, your friend's name and a few other words into, and then you're supposed to get on your computer, get out a piece of paper, and keep <laughs> yeah. writing the book. And the book, and it's like, maybe you'll be published someday. Maybe. Yeah, there's some goofy stuff back there. Um, but yeah, this is a fun book. I mean, <laughs> I think other goosebumpses are going to feel more they're going to feel more familiar to to me for sure yeah yeah and probably also to to people who are not like reading along necessarily but who did read these books as kids it has and the- i'm looking i'm looking forward to those cuz i think that they're going to be a little lighter there's going to be a little bit more like goofy stuff to latch onto yeah in this one it has the the kind of basic short horror story pitch it's got like the twist of oh the creepy kids are dead um but it doesn't yeah it doesn't have that susan of jovial bob stein in there yeah yeah to yeah. really elevate it from just a spooky story yeah because what's what's on the cover it's not a weird hamster who ate monster blood it's not slappy the dummy it's just a house it's a creepy house. it's a creepy house so. and you don't get more like and and this is and this is fine as the as the launching point for a children's horror series, but yeah. you, you don't get more like elementary than haunted house. Haunted house. If you're talking haunted about town. horror stories, yeah. The the weirdest thing in the book is that it was yellow gas from the plastic spit. Yeah, and I get yeah. And I guess I am glad to know that the movie wanted to put a face on that yeah. accident so uh-huh. that the movie would have an antagonist <laughs> other than just like the bloodthirsty town. But but yeah. So to recap, uh, the kids were Josh and Amanda. The parents get an F minus. F minus. And Bad the, parents. And the dog's name was Petey. Yes. So. Yeah. Pet, yeah. Pet names. 
uh-huh. our parent <laughs> rating system. Watching you make a database right now. <laughs> Petey the Terrier. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then kid names, Josh and Amanda. And I think for kid names, we don't have to track every kid, like every best friend, every everybody. No, no. It's the but main like kids. whoever the, the main character and any siblings that they have who factor in. Yeah. Like if if this kid was, if this episode of this book became an episode of the TV show, could that kid have gone on to have a career because they were like you know, a child actor good enough to get the, the lead on Yeah, were they the like the Hayden Christensen of this episode of yes, the Goosebumps TV yes, show? Yes, for sure. Um, well, I'm glad to kick off Goosebumps with you, my fellow Goosebum, Andrew. Yeah, me too. What do we say at the end of every episode of Goosebumps? Listener, beware, you're in for a scare. Welcome to Goosebumps, a podcast from the boys at Overdue. My name is Craig. I'm Andrew, but I'm a plant version of Andrew. I can smell your stamen. Ew, gross. That's disgusting. It's a podcast <laughs> about Goosebumps books. Oh, God. And we're reading all of them. No, we're not. We're just reading some of them. Andrew, tell us about the Goosebumps Project. Every month for some some number of spooky about months, eight, we're yeah. going to read a selection of Goosebumps books, uh-huh. including uh, what the first two and then the sequel to one of the first four. And then yep. the third, a bunch of them, a bunch of good ones. We'll tell you but, at the end of this this episode what we're reading next. Yeah, the, fir- the first few and some highlights. This week we're reading uh, Goosebumps number two, Stay Out of the Basement. In the re-release series, it's number 22. But yes. in, the, in the original run, it was the second of the Goosebumps books, directly after Welcome to Dead House. Published in 1992. So Nirvana's Nevermind had come out, I think, just situating it in the in cultural X cross the only one going. i can remember it's like <laughs> nirvana and there's like another album that's big george hw um, bush runs for re-election yeah there's yeah there's okay anyway um the the blurb for this book dr brewer is doing a little plant testing in his basement nothing to worry about harmless really but margaret and casey brewer are worried about their father especially when they meet some of the plants he is growing down there. (laughs) Then they notice that their father is developing plant-like tendencies. In fact, he's becoming distinctly weedy and seedy. Is it just part of their father's harmless experiment? Or has the basement turned into another little shop of horrors? In 2003, they updated the blurb to say, or does dad have more than just a green thumb? Okay, so I guess they assume that kids know about the idiom of a green thumb but they aren't super familiar with the musical little shop of horrors yes okay Uh what did you remember about this book before you started this read andrew i mean i so i remembered i mean the main plot which is that the doctor's performing experiments and he turns he there's he plants. turns out to get more than he bargained for. Yeah. I mean, he's experimenting with plants and i have a very clear memory of the last scene in the book okay um which was, I didn't remember like every plot beat, but I did like this one stuck in my mind in a way that Dead House definitely did not. <laughs> sure. Uh, I have never read this book. I definitely 
was uh I, I was be I was where and I did get scared. You got a little scared? What, was, you, what, what scared you? What scared you? I think the there's some creepy stuff. The creepiest stuff is like not knowing how deep it goes and like what the we'll talk about what is scary in this book and what creepy stuff happens, but like not knowing if and how it'll end is kind of scary. That's the point of what of some of these books, right? Mm-hmm. Also, the part where Margaret, the main character, just kind of gets sad because she thinks her dad lied to her. Yeah, that's not even scary. Is it just hurt? Yeah, it hurts. It's hurt. a little bit like, like, see, okay. So we're gonna in each episode of Goosebumps, we're gonna evaluate the kids, and we're also gonna evaluate the parents because <laughs> there are always kids, and there are always because there are always kids, and there are always parents. Our dynamic brother and sister, like every single Goosebumps book we've read so far, has yep. Two for it's two. like the episodes of The Simpsons where Lisa and Bart have to save Itchy and Scratchy. Like there's a dynamic brother sister duo in yeah. each one of these. In the in Welcome to Dead House, it was Amanda and Josh, where Amanda was the main character. Yes. And in this one, it's Margaret and Casey. How do you feel about Casey's those names? The, Casey's the little brother. Not by much though. Not by much, but but uh Margaret is the main character. Yes. yes. Um what do you think about those names? I think they're fine. I don't mind them. Margaret and Casey sounds a little like old timey bank robber duo to me. <laughs> they they certainly feel like names that are slightly older than Amanda and Josh. Amanda and Josh feel like nineties kids names. Casey feels like a seventies kid name. I don't know, like your yeah. Casey Kasem era. Well, and you well, remember that guy, Casey at the bat. You want to go back even further, and Margaret's like, yeah, that name's like been that strong for a long time that one's a, yeah that one's a reliable good reliable name yeah i knew a lot more megs and megans in terms of m names growing up than i did a margaret mm-hmm. um but yeah they seem they're i like that this book opens with just them playing frisbee in the yard my, so, oh my god my favorite my absolute favorite thing and another sort of thread that i'm tracking through these books is the stuff that R.L. Stein has kids do when they're not being actively terrorized by whatever the antagonist of the book is. Yeah. So in this one, uh, Margaret and Casey and their friend Diane are out. Like, There's a lot of just like idle frisbee tossing happening in these yes. books. Uh, Diane changed the subject and talked about some kids they knew who were 11 but were going out. <laughs> then they talked about school for a while. Yes. Time to go, Margaret calls Casey. <laughs> the parts where... <laughs> The parts where <laughs> Stein is not interested in like further characterization, he just needs to yada yada some time. He just between needs scares. time to go by. They looked through some old copies of Seventeen and People in Margaret's room, listening to some music that Margaret had recently bought. Um, At a little past three, Diane suddenly remembered that she had a makeup piano lesson that she was late for. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the some of according to the Goosebumps wiki. Which is a fan wiki. I don't believe it's an official wiki. Um, I mean, what's what is an official wiki though? A wiki is a is is a encyclopedia that anybody can edit. That's true. From. That's true. You're right. Um, some of like when she's listening to music, I think the original publication referenced tapes. Ooh, tapes! I don't believe that there was a reference to Nintendo in the text that we read, but I think there was one in the original. Um, huh. I was also reading about so it was a two part TV episode in the nineteen in nineteen ninety six. There's one or two changes that we'll talk about at the end of this 
conversation. I did apparently in that episode when Casey is playing video games at one point, uh, in the show, they just put a pixelated image from another episode of the Goosebumps show. Like they taped it onto the TV and just played sounds out of the TV. <laughs> That's excellent. It's very good. Um, but yeah, these kids are playing Frisbee on their lawn. I've ever played Frisbee on my lawn. I'm a 90s kid. Yeah. Yeah, you're a 90s kid. Just reading People magazine and playing Frisbee. And... Open opening very nineties energy of hey dad play catch with me and dad can't but dad dad can't because he's a busy business dad Did but you... there's there are different dimensions to busy business dad in this <laughs> book compared Did... to like you know a movie with Robin Williams in it yeah did you catch this the I don't remember from the first book Dead House there those parents never got names they were just referred to as mom and dad they were right? just mom and dad yeah. Uh, because in this book, they are referred to as Dr. Brewer and Mrs. Brewer. Yeah, the Brewers. The Brewers. And it, I don't know, it just kind of, that distance struck me compared to the previous read. I'm not sure that mean? it did any, like just that it wasn't um, more tightly to Margaret's perspective. Like sure, or so the, the book is des- the book is describing Doctor Brewer doing something and not Dad doing something. Yes. Even though yes. when you're even though she when you're hearing her thoughts directly or her yes. speech directly, she is saying Dad. That's true. So. That's true. Okay, okay. interesting. No, no, no. Just um, something I noted because of how way, the way these parents factor in these books. All yeah. Right, go ahead. So, <laughs> so uh, Doctor Brewer hasn't had time to play with them or talk to them really or even acknowledge anybody's existence lately since he got laid off from his job and has been spending all of his time alone working in the basement (laughs) they moved to california so that he could get a new research job at a school somewhere and it's introduced i like things had been so tense ever since he started working at home which very real but yeah i mean for for the 90s like nobody worked from home what you're gonna like send somebody a letter every time that you need to dm them (laughs) but that also it it, a page goes by before the book clarifies that he got fired yeah he got fired from his job (laughs) uh and and he's been very distant lately and he's told them like i think by the end of the first or second chapter we get a book title he just tells them stay out of the basement don't go down there he does do that he he they he yells at them which is odd um and then yes he's they're like well okay i guess we don't get to go to the basement i guess we don't get to go to the basement and then so mrs brewer who seems (laughs) she too has apparently noticed something about her husband but doesn't really seem to have any more insight into it than either of the children nope Uh uh-uh because she mostly just seems like worried around the eyes and has like a couple of gray hairs which would probably make mom like younger than us yeah probably uh and so mom's sister in tucson gets some kind of illness and so dad has to drive her to the airport Serving two narrative functions. One is to get the non-evil parent out of the picture from the main action of the book. And two is to give the kids time to go down into the basement like they were told not to do. Yes, because there's not another parent who can say, well, listen to your father. And I think maybe are there two phone conversations, at least one phone conversation 
that Margaret has with her mom while she's yeah, away. When she's in Tucson and um, her mom is just very like worried about her sister's condition. And yeah. And, and while some of the weirdest stuff hasn't happened yet. So yes. Margaret has not, yeah, has not had time to relay some of the weirder stuff to we, her. That whole scene is like Margaret being like, do I tell mom? Nah, she's got a lot on her plate right now. Yeah, her I'll sister is like, has a heart, has something. <laughs> it's not clear what happened to mom's sister. There's probably another Goosebumps book happening in Tucson to yeah. Mrs. Brewer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so she's gone. Diane comes over. Andrew, do you remember how we are introduced to Diane? Isn't she just like eating chips? She's eating chips. And then she hears about that there's science experiments in the basement. And the narrator says, Diane was a science freak. Math and science, the two subjects Margaret hated. Yeah, science freak. And she is like, well, listen, we're going into your dad's basement now. Yeah, and so they do. And so they do. What's it like? And it's very hot there? and wet down there. It's hot and wet and sticky. Casey takes his shirt off. It's not good for a house to it's have bad. that much moisture in the basement. Like You very really shouldn't. Bad. Like Water intrusion is a big enough problem. Did you catch that there was a an abandoned ping pong table down there? Yeah, there's like a, a, there are two rooms in the basement, and one is like an abandoned rec room that then comes around like Chekhov's gun <laughs> at the end of the book. Yeah. And then there's the creepy plant room where there's, there's these big halogen lights shining down on plants. He's got a grow operation <laughs> Basement. Yeah, and so dad is dad. There's another version of stay out of the basement where dad is just growing marijuana in the yeah. basement. Uh-huh. But in this book, he's growing weird jungly plants. One of which seems to be breathing, breathing, moaning. Perhaps there, there, what we get one classic goosebumps end of chapter fake out where Casey's pretending like something's wrong with him, but he's really oh, just playing a practical prank joke. Yeah, on it's his imp- sister and his her friend. He does the thing that um he does the fake electrocuted freak out from Jurassic Park, which yeah. this book came before Jurassic Park. So actually so Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park really was doing the fake electrocuted. Thing freak from out from Goosebumps number yes. two, stay out of the basement. Um, yes. because the there are two like electrical phone booths or something that we later find out are part of how things are happening to a the very, plants. A very uh, The Fly-esque yeah. yes. phone booth transfer situation going on down here. Something sciency is happening down here. Um, and they're like, this is weird. The plants are breathing. I don't like it. Did that plant move? We should get out of here. So they leave, and then they're da- they must live somewhere really close to the airport because both times Dad goes to the <laughs> airport in so this fast. book, he comes back so fast. And I know some of that is like '90s, like no TSA, no anything. Yeah, you're right. But he drove onto the tarmac, shoved her out of the car, and drove home. I just I don't know what California airport he could. Be. Oh my goodness! Like, was he live? I, they, maybe they live in San Jose or something. Who knows, man. Do they, uh, they don't say what university he was working at, right? No, they don't. So, yeah, like I got to assume that dad's not trying to like get into LAX and then back home inside of 25 <laughs> minutes like he does a couple of times in this book. But. but then we have this like this tense situation where Diane has conveniently had to leave. Yeah, she leaves. Probably another makeup piano lesson. <laughs> and Casey realizes that he left his T-shirt down in the basement. And if dad sees it, he's going to know that they went down there. So... He has to go down. Margaret's on lookout watching dad talk to a neighbor in the driveway. Mr. Henry. 
Mr. Henry. I remember his name because his name is Henry's name. Yeah, sure. You're right. Mr. Henry. And there's, I don't, I was rereading that section this morning and Margaret keeps being like, dad doesn't normally talk this long. Dad doesn't, and I don't think that the book is planting seeds there, no pun intended, but it is, it was interesting as I was rereading the book. Dad's acting, dad's acting weird. Like we're just laying a lot of groundwork for dad's acting weird. Yeah. Tilling the soil as it were. And sure. Casey's so that horrible seeds can germinate. <laughs> okay, what's happening to Casey in the basement, Andrew? He's just like he's very trepidatious. He's yes. frozen. He can't go and get a shirt quickly like he wants to because something is just holding him back in his mind. Then he goes to get the shirt, and then a plant grabs him and it's literally weird, grabs him. It's got weird wet vine arms and Tendrils. it's just like holding onto him. And it's bad. And so Margaret comes down to get him and she frees him from the plant. But dad has come in and as happens like nine times at the beginning, like throughout the course of this book, (laughs) he finds them in the basement when they're not supposed to be. He says, stay out of the basement. And then they go back upstairs. And they're like, I've never seen dad that mad before is really like the only takeaway. But that's it. Um, but like a fully half of this book is them being out in the basement and dad coming down and <laughs> seeing them in the basement where they've been told to stay out of. Yeah. Uh-huh. This happens a lot. Um, we got a quick check in where Margaret says to dad, I hope Aunt Eleanor is okay. And dad says later and then goes in the basement. <laughs> Uh, and then she talks to her mom on the phone. Her mom basically explains that her dad is Walter White. He got fired and he's trying to explain. He's trying to like get back at all the people who didn't believe he was so smart. So, yeah, let's I don't know <laughs> we could talk about parent ratings now or we could talk about parent parent ratings. No, at want... the end of the after mm. the after the, the climactic confrontation, because I've got notes on both. Give things. me the ones that you had at this point in the book, because there's like there. Before you really know what this book is up to, and you obviously knew because you're Mr. Goosebumps, but... Um, I am Mr. Goosebumps, yes. Well, I was just Goosebumps. Mr. Goosebumps was my father. <laughs> Tell me your ratings for the parents at this stage-ish in the book, about halfway through, quarter at this through. At this stage-ish in the book, I've got to give... I mean, this is... I don't remember how often goosebumps pulls the move where one of the parents is the antagonist like often the it parents are just like bold not in it or like they, they are vague benign yes but clueless presences in the characters lives uh-huh. <laughs> as as happened in, in dead house so dad obviously gets an f minus like <laughs> F minus for being a mad scientist at this point. Like yeah. for just like transparently being terrible. Yeah. And mom, I think gets a D Ooh. for carrying wow. water for dad. Okay. And for being absent at this crucial juncture in in the book. Sure. I would have given like, her- like mom is mom is very worried about her sister and whatever her undisclosed mystery condition is. But <laughs> Well, I appreciate, but instead, but instead of saying, "Yeah, I agree with you, Margaret, and I hear your concerns because your dad's been kind of freaking me out too," and instead she's like, "Well, your dad did get fired in disgrace and come home muttering about how he how they were going to see they were all going to see," <laughs> and she's just like fine with that. Yeah, like, it's just like this no. is just something he's going through. He just needs to do this. You're right. I was going to give her like a 
B minus, but the f- the <laughs> we the can lack- have like diverging no, scores, I was especially gonna, here at the midpoint. I was going to give her a B minus at this stage just because like she's modeling good sisterhood to her kids. Like she's clearly taking care of another family member, even though times are hard for them. She's still going and taking care of someone else. I, I imagine times are hard. He got fired and works in a basement, but and they who live knows? in California, like probably the. Well, and, if I mean, if they live this close to an airport, probably the property value, they're living low. somewhere where the property value right. is pretty high. Uh, or do you think it's high? Yeah. Well, unless they live like right next to the airport, then it would be very low. Well, I mean, it's, it's convenient access to the airport. So like in a populated area, and sure. I don't think there's a populated area in like Southern California that is maybe in the 90s is affordable, but certainly That's not now. Point. That's a good point. Um, I just feel like... I was going to give her credit for like talking to her kids and et cetera and dealing with her sister. But you're right. Like I don't, I don't care for how little digging she's done <laughs> into what her <laughs> husband is doing. And I get that like in a partnership, you need to leave room for what your partner is going through and what they're up to. But he did get fired from the job that moved them across the country, and he lives in the basement now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe she should have pressed harder sooner. And really, there's a the the version of this book that we should be reading is from the mom's perspective. Yeah, but I mean, it's a goosebump, so it's, it's very yeah. kid centric, and yeah. the mom just has to be kind of vaguely clueless yeah. for like her just brain can't be connected to her spinal cord for the rest of the book to work. <laughs> so that's kind of the character that she is. So Margaret, I think sometime after this phone call, uh, is going to go to the kitchen and get a snack. Yeah, these kids eat a lot in this book. They do. I like that. Um, just like things kids do like you just see them eating all like yeah. like they had lunch at diane's house da- m dash tomato soup and avocado salad m dash delicious avocados california eh? yeah, um, classic Cal- classic cali and she sees her dad <laughs> having a snack in the kitchen which is odd because she hasn't really seen him eat a lot lately andrew yeah well he's, he's eating he's he's hungry this boy's honking down dude's this, this carrying snack. a bag he's holding a bag over the sink and he's just shoving stuff in his face. Now, I have ever stood over the sink and we've all eaten we've all messy. eaten over the sink. <laughs> yeah, because you know it's something crumbly is gonna fall or whatever, and it's just fine if it goes in the sink. You'll deal with it. Yeah, like I mean, if it's like a chip or something that's yeah. that's prone to uh, shrapnel <laughs> or like yeah, some sort of baked good that's especially crumbly, mm, crumb, crummy, crummy, crummy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but crummy, he's not crummy. eating baked goods or chips, Andrew. Nope, he sure ain't. He's, What's he eating? He's chomping off plant food. He's plant shoving food. dirty dirt plant food in his mouth mm-hmm. and just going to town on it. Mm-hmm. And I, she doesn't stop him, right? She just kind of goes away. She just watches him and he throws the bag in the trash and then she goes and digs the bag out of the trash. And it's plant food. And it's plant food. And she's just like, well, gross. Time to go play frisbee, I and guess. She, I think <laughs> she tries to talk to Casey about it and, and he's like, and she's like, what if it's part of the experiments? And he's like, what if he just craved some plant food? Casey, who's been literally grabbed by a plant animal in yeah. like the third or fourth chapter of the book it's just pretty blase about most of the stuff that's going on with uh-huh. old dad i would say 
No one even raises, like, the pica question. Like, dad is clearly unhealthy if he's eating plant food. I, yeah, I don't know about Goosebumps book where the explanation is that is pica. I mean, I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but hmm. I just don't remember this being a plot of any of the Goosebumps books that I, I yeah. read. It's possible. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, a qu- what if a character just asked the question is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Well, but I mean, Diane... this, is, this is pre-Google, so yeah, you're right, you're right. the kids can't hop on the... Hop the on the highway and and dial in and then <laughs> go to Alta Vista and say, "Dad eating dirt sink help." <laughs> FBI agent shows up at your house. Yeah. Um, Diane is here to shed some light, though. Diane shows up again conveniently. Your dad's a mad scientist, she says. The university told him he had to stop whatever it was he was doing, and he refused. He said he couldn't stop. At least that's what my dad heard from a guy who came into the sales room. (laughs) Listen, this third-hand info does feel, it feels right to me. Something really bad happened in your dad's lab. Someone got really hurt or killed or something. That's not true, Margaret insisted. We would have heard if that happened. I'm just telling you what I heard, Diane says, and that's when they change the subject and talk about kids who were going out. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not just that they're going out. It's that they're 11... And they're going out. What's and the that's, youngest? And that's why they're a subject of conversation. What's the youngest kids? you can remember someone having a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend? I think in like fifth grade. I think that sounds right. How old are which, you? In which which would grade? be around eleven or twelve, right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds right. Yeah, but it's still like age new. Is like ten or eleven years old. It's still like a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Even though it's mostly, I think at that point, just sort of play acting what you've seen other adults in your life do. <laughs> yes, it's true. Or like what they do on Dawson's Creek. Um, <laughs> and so they play some more Frisbee. Diane has to leave. And what happens during this Frisbee game, Andrew? Do you remember? <sighs> this specific Frisbee Dad's game? Dad's outside, I mean, and I they have... try to get him to catch oh, again. Yeah, and they knock his hat off with the Frisbee. And what's he, under there? He's been wearing a Dodgers cap uh-huh. and knocks off, and he's got plants under there yeah he's got big green shining leaves and so the scene rules perhaps recognizing that his, his cover has been blown <laughs> plant dad comes over to margaret and casey and is like i know i haven't said two words to you in six weeks but here's the totally normal real reason why i have plants coming out of my head and it's because it's a side effect of the genetic experiments I'm doing to meld plant and animal DNA together in our basement. Yes. I guess you think your dad has gotten pretty weird, huh? Is what he actually says. Yes, dad. Then he lays out like a pretty eugenics-y thesis statement. Uh, It's a little, yeah. (laughs) Because he's like, you know how we use plants to make like better tomatoes, right? Like tastier tomatoes. Yeah. What if we we could make people better? Yes. By by breeding desirable qualities into them. Let's say we were able to isolate the molecular gene or tiny part of a gene that enabled the person to have such high intelligence. And then let's say we were able to transmit it into other brains. And then this brain power could be passed along from generation to generation. And lots of people would have high IQs. Do you understand? So, yeah, dad is either doing horrible plant experiments or... (laughs) 
<laughs> or he's like doing horrible Nazi war crimes in the basement. Why not both? Why not both? Um, it's not great. Yeah. Uh, is it that night that she sees him like, cause he's been cut. He's been like, his hand has been bandaged a lot. You keep asking me like the sequence that things happen in and that, that like, I remember each individual part. I don't remember the order that they happen. In. They don't because what really happens in this book. What other. happens in this book over and over again is Margaret is converted with is a is a confronted with clear evidence that her dad is a plant monster. Yeah, <laughs> like he is bleeding green, bright green, yes, green blood the into the bit. sink, and he's got a bunch of like dirt and bugs in his bed. He's got dirt and bugs in his bed, and she's like freaked out and spooked by this. Obviously, yeah, but she also. To, like can't does not or cannot take any more like a decisive action about it, and no. I and seems to be in a state of continuously trying to convince herself that everything is fine, which is I think is is true to what would happen if you were a kid in a situation where you had a horrible plant dad. Yeah, who's like true. who's again either trying to do horrible GMO stuff or. Like isolate and destroy the gay gene in the basement. Mm, (laughs) Which is like bad either way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, What? I'm just. I don't like dad. There's nothing lower than an F minus. I want to give him worse than an F minus. So I think. So let's get to the end because I think that the grading in this does need to be. It needs to be nuanced because we've got plant dad and then we've got okay. real dad. Great. Let me let me real quick breeze us through two other plot beats that get us to this multi dad situation. Yeah. So we did we did green blood in the sink. We, we did, did dirt in the dirt, bed. dirt in the bed sucked. Dirt, dirt, dirt in the bed is no good. <laughs> but what I like about dirt in the bed, <laughs> it's, keep saying it. <laughs> what I like about the dirt in the bed scene. Is that? Feels, I mean, I've, I've got a two-year-old. I know about dirt in the bed. It, you know what I'm talking about. It feels goosebumpsy in a way that stuff in Dead House didn't. Like it feels sillier for like. It's still kind of weird and spooky. It's weird and creepy, but it's silly. Like the stuff in this book sticks in my head because it is that kind of goosebumpsy. Like the, the, yeah. it has set pieces that aren't just sort of a, a, an amalgamation of other. Yes. Horror set pieces. The closest thing that's the, the one thing that stood out to me like that in Dead House was the scene when all the ghost kids like circled up on our main characters with baseball bats and then all of a sudden it was over. And like that was both creepy and kind of like distinct. This has way more like what is happening here? Yeah, but the, but even in Dead House, there's a similar tendency among the kid character. Like it was after that encounter that they then like played, played baseball, baseball with them and for were a month. totally yeah. good friends with the ghost kids for like three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's <laughs> this this and nobody nobody is ever creeped out enough the first time to follow any thread to its logical conclusion. Like things need to happen <laughs> seven or eight times to Th- them that's before true. they really get to the bottom of things. Um so Right before uh, Mr. Martinez from the university is going to come over to evaluate the work 
and maybe give dad his job back. He said he's the board made me let you go, but I was fully on board with the cuckoo bananas mad science that you were doing yes. with university property and grant funding. <laughs> Please show me what you're doing in your home lab. Before that can happen, Dr. Brewer tries to get his kids to eat gross gross mashed potatoes that is clearly some sort of turn into a plant goop. Yeah. Um, they don't eat it. I was getting big, like Calvin doesn't want to eat what his mom made energy from that scene. I mean, you get it then, yeah, the, the sort of sense of, of a green uh, indistinct mush is, is yes. very similar between the two. Um, and so Mr. Martinez goes down to the basement. And then yeah, it goes down to the basement and like probably leaves, but nobody's really keeping tabs on him. No one's really keeping track. Um, they find his jacket down there. Yeah, they go down to the basement. I don't remember if this is the time that they go down to like get their kites or some other. Yep, I think <laughs> like, so. Like, oh, we need to go down to the basement to get our hoop and stick. Like, what are you, <laughs> these kids in there? <laughs> like they're 1950s toys. They need to go down. We need to go down and get our slinkies. We can run it down the stairs. <laughs> they go downstairs to get their kites and they find Mr. Martinez's like jacket and they ask dad, well, why is his jacket down there? And dad's like, well, he took it off because it's hot and then he forgot it and stop asking me questions. And if you go down in the basement, you'll be sorry. Yep. And then the very next scene where they again go down into the basement for some reason, they find his pants and his wallet. And I, one of them, either Casey or Margaret, is like, well, it's it makes sense that he would forget his jacket, but he wouldn't forget his pants and wallet. That is correct. Um, something's finally broken through their brain fog <laughs> and registered like definitively as something that shouldn't be happening. And the, somewhere in here is also where, you know, Dr. Brewer lies to them about Mr. Martinez leaving and Casey and Margaret have a moment. Where they're like, dad lied to us. Yeah. And that really, it hurts. It's really emotional um but then they yeah they go back again the last one might be for the kites i don't remember dr brewer has gone to the airport so they to have time up. yeah to pick up mom so they're like we're gonna go down there and they hear noises coming from a closet yeah which they've heard many times before but it seems very insistent now and like bangy uh and is this do they find they don't find like Mr. Martinez, they find Dr. Brewer. They find both of them. Like they're both in there. Oh. But they free I mean they free Dr. Brewer first. But yes, what, that's what do they true. what do they find first? Because this this is the creepiest part of the book. I think they find Dr. Brewer first. Well, okay. So they, they find Dr. Brewer, but first they find a bunch of like half plant, half Oh, they human find the plant hybrid. human hybrids. Yeah, so I need you to tell me how you felt about the plant human hybrids because it is it's some of the most like the most definitively spooky stuff in the book. I'm trying to find the I don't if you can find the passage, that would be rad because it is like I don't even know what types of plants they are, and maybe that's kind of what was so freaky, because he's not like, oh, it's a ficus and a foot. He's just like, oh, it's plant matter that has an ear, and 
You got it. Okay. Yeah. Margaret's eyes darted around the closet. To her horror, she realized that several plants seemed to have human features. Green arms, a yellow hand with three fingers poking from it. Two stumpy legs where the stem should be. She and her brother both cried out when they saw the plant with the face. Inside a cluster of broad leaves, there appeared to grow a round green tomato. But the tomato had a human-shaped nose and an open mouth from which it repeatedly uttered the most mournful sighs and groans. Another plant, a short plant with clusters of broad oval leaves had two green nearly human faces partly hidden by the leaves both wailing through open mouths i don't like that the plants have multiple faces on them i don't like that the tomato doesn't have eyes the plants moaned inside green fingerless hands reached out to margaret and casey a yellow sick looking plant near the wall made choking sounds a tall flowering plant staggered toward them thin tendril-like arms outstretched yeah a bunch of monstrosities down here yeah this is the stuff that's kind of it's kind of like cthulhu it's kind of like you he's giving you enough to be horrified but he's not being any more specific than that <laughs> uh which is pretty impressive because up until now you're like huh the plants no, are alive what Dad's acting weird. He's got leaves in his head. Dad's got leaves on his head and the plants breathe. But you're not like really thinking about the fact that there's going to be plants with noses and stuff. Yeah, right. And that's not good. Um, Think about tomato just like with a mouth and teeth. I I, assume it has teeth, right? I think what separates Goosebumps from an adult horror book is where it stops with the details. Yeah. Because you find in the basement, you find dad, you find somebody who looks like dad. You do. Who's been tied up. Yes. I think an adult horror book would maybe talk a little bit more about like the bathroom situation. (laughs) (laughs) But dad has just been tied up and he tells Margaret, you got to You got to let me go. I'm your dad. Yeah. Plant guy. That's not your dad. I'm your dad. Yeah. And he picks and they let him go. Even though he, I also have leaves growing out of my head. I, don't worry about it. I'm your dad. I too have leaves on my head. I was making a super plant and I got myself my my blood in the plant, but I also got plant blood in me. So I'm part plant, but he's part me. He doesn't I mean he doesn't explain to this level of detail until the denouement. Because, oh, you're right. Yeah, that's right. Because there there has to be legitimate confusion about what his deal is and whether he's you're right whether he's dad or not because he picks up a big axe and there's a chapter break where he's like getting ready to swing it or something yeah he's approaching them with the axe yes and it's like is he gonna hurt them but then mom and mom and plant dad come downstairs they're back from the airport they made record time so fast they're they're just they're they bound down to the basement to tell everybody about how good how much good time they made yeah uh, i don't know plant dad must just be like yeah i guess they live in the basement now like literally every time i leave the house and come back they're down there even though i tell them not to go down there and then it's just that scene from face off where the daughter doesn't know which is her real dad yeah exactly it's that scene from face off that didn't reference or or deal with any other sort of tropes in in horror Uh (laughs) uh-huh uh and what is it she she gets convinced one of them calls her princess which the clone never did Mm -hmm. and so she uses a knife to stab who she thinks is her real dad and he bleeds red blood he bleeds red blood like a red-blooded american (laughs) man Not like one of them green-blooded commies. Ford trucks spill out of his arm and <laughs> guitars play. 
and then what? He just cuts the clone in half with the axe, oh, he, right? He takes the axe and he just slices the plant plant dad from stem to stern. He's got no organs in him. He's just a plant. He's just a big weed. From stem to stamen. Okay. And he's dead. <laughs> and then they find Mr. Martinez gagged up too. And the wildest part of this whole the whole <laughs> end of this book is that Mr. Martinez like the board made him okay. Here's the, the sequence of events is Mr. Martinez brings this guy out. He's doing these patently unethical experiments. Mm-hmm. The board is like, we don't really like this these unethical uh, genetically engineered experiments happening on our campus. You've got to fire this guy. Yeah. And so Mr. Martinez does it under duress. And then he comes to Dr. Brewer's house to be like, well, I got to check up on your progress because I'm trying to get them to let you come back. Uh And then plant dad bounds and gags him and throws him into a room with a bunch of horrible human plant creatures for at least a couple of days. Yeah. And then at the end of this, they banish Plant Dad and Mr. Martinez is untied. And his reaction is perhaps you need the structured environment the lab on campus offers. I'll talk to the board members about getting you back on staff. Mr. Martinez said it was his way of inviting their father back to work. So Mr. Martinez, who has had what must be the most traumatic 48 hours of his life is using that as evidence that this guy definitely belongs at the university and we, we need to bring him back into the fold. I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to the board running. I am, like, I'm convinced running Arkham university or something like it's just nothing but stone cold, mad scientist weirdos at this. I mean, it's, it's like a Flintstones episode where your boss is coming over for dinner and you really need to impress him to get the big promotion, except you end up kidnapping him and tying him up in the base. It's basement. part of my methodology. And this I guess nobody I, I, I guess nobody called the cops to file a missing persons report for Mr. Martinez no. because he needs kids to find his pants crumpled up in the corner of the creepy basement <laughs> before anybody realizes that he's missing. Ugh. So yes, okay, you're right. So this is when Dr. Brewer explains how the how the plant DNA blood lines dad. got crossed. Blood dad. Blood dad does. Yes. We got blood dad and plant dad. Well, plant dad's dead and yes. and blood dad is like, "Hey, I'm blood dad. My blood got mixed up with the plants and that created plant dad and And then made, the plants got mixed up with my blood and that's why I got leaves on my head. But it'll be fine. It'll go away and we should burn all the plants. Um, we should except for some of them. Some of the little ones can go in the garden. Some of them are fine. Everybody. It's like I don't want. I don't want to go back out to Home Depot and buy another packet of seeds. So we could put some of the abominations in the garden. And so at the end of the week, they burn all the stuff, and they put a pool table in the rec room. <laughs> yeah, there's no discussion of the ethics of like killing a bunch of half sentient plant monsters. No. Nope. Nuh-uh. Dad just goes down there and does it, and then they turn the rec room into a sick pool table room. Yep. Because there's nothing kids love like billiards. <laughs> kids love billiards. There's a kid I knew growing up who had a pool table in his basement. I thought it was cool as hell. Ooh. I really did. I yeah. thought it was cool. But he had a big basement. Maybe that's actually what I thought was cool. 
Those plants with faces, Margaret started. Her father nodded. Yes, those were things I made by inserting human materials into plant materials. I kept putting them in the supply closet. I got carried away. I didn't know how far I could go, how human I could make the plants. I could see that my creations were unhappy, suffering, but I couldn't stop. It was too exciting. Someone offer this man a job. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try him in the Hague for for crimes against humanity please give him back his tenured position at the university crimes against humanity uh <sighs> it reminded me of like uh the europa stuff in the watchman show of just like guy just creates life and it's like no i hate it i don't want it i think it's bad well but dad's gonna go back to the university and keep doing this work he's like well okay i promise not to create any monstrosity is he a teaching professor whatever whatever the ethical outcome of this research and experimentation that i'm doing i promise to only do that stuff this time it says here and on the none syllabus, of the and none of the wailing tomato faces. Pr- professor, um, section seven of the syllabus says don't make wailing tomatoes. Would you care to elaborate? It just the whole the syllabus just says stay out of the basement. This paper's got dirt and worms on it, professor. Mm-hmm. And then the book it ends. Says on, the, on the list of books that you want us to buy, it just tells us to buy a forty-pound bag of Miracle Grow. <laughs> You're inviting us all over for dinner, but you're not asking us about any like food allergies or anything. Yeah. What are all these bags? Mm-hmm. Um, Better the book, eat this green mush. The book ends. Margaret out in the yard, feeling good about the pool table. Probably playing frisbee. Smiling at the Golden Hills of California. The smile faded from her face when she heard the whisper at her feet. She looked down to see a small yellow flower nudging her ankle. Margaret, the flower whispered, help me, please help me. I'm your father. Really, I'm your real father. End of book. The, I mean, the Mr. Martinez stuff is objectively the wildest part of the entire book. (laughs) But I think the part in one of the either the final chapter or one of the final chapters where all of this horrible stuff has come to light a a man who looks just like their father has been sliced literally in in half uh-huh. in front of them yeah and then there is a line break and the next line begins by dinner time things had almost returned to normal <laughs> <laughs> nobody's going to need any therapy about this not at all yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, so the the other reason I give mom a bad grade is that she comes down, sees two copies of her husband, mm. and instead of like this is the this is her partner in life. This is somebody she's she she's born has, two of his hit, children. She's born his his children. He is she is she shared a life with him for probably a good like fifteen years, maybe yep. more. Yep. And she just like throws up her hands and is like, I don't know how to tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> they both got plants on their head. I could tell you if he had hair, but they both they I I when I left he didn't have plants on his head. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And again, it's a you know, the, the mom is the more natural, I think, protagonist for this this story, but because it's a goosebumps book, it has to be the she, kid. She isn't even like when he comes to the airport to get her, she isn't even like, Are you, you're a Dodgers fan now? Like, it's not e- what the heck? 
you would know about this guy. Yeah, you? I mean, I I assume that when they were sleeping in the same bed together a couple of weeks back, that he had not put all the dirt and bugs in yet. So, but oh, think there's about nothing. Aww. There's nothing. Like mom is so oblivious that maybe he could have done that. Yeah, and she would just be like, "Wow, you uh, maybe you should start taking a shower before before bed." That <laughs> wasn't in thing. the morning. <laughs> like, the, the book feels both like kind of like it has a tight timeline, and that the timeline is a little loosey goosey to suit Stein's needs. Like I think it it's clear that some days pass, not too many, but I did get like a like, but like really, how long? Was he in the closet? How long has he been a plant? Yeah. When, and how long was he in the closet? And did he have any food or water? And did the, and I, again, I, I've got to say that an adult horror book doing that scene would talk would, about yeah. the stink. Like yeah. there, there is a, there are a couple of missing sensations in there <laughs> that would really make it more horrifying. Yeah. That just were not addressed. I do like that it's plants, though I kind of expected it to be like an alien plant because that's what I'm used to from like movies like uh, The Thing, uh, the the original The Thing, and like I mean, it's sort of a sort of a like a body snatchers meets the fly sort of that is situation. Re- yeah, like like somebody's somebody you know has been replaced by somebody who's not quite right, and you're having trouble proving it. And then also, literally, I got in a machine yeah. and accidentally combined my DNA with another thing's DNA. And it yeah, went bad. it's not an alien takeover. It's a mad scientist doppelganger situation, which is fun. I like that conceit. I was, mm-hmm. I was like, legit, did not know exactly where it was going to go because this trope gets used in a bunch of different ways. So that was kind of fun. Um, Andrew, I asked some folks in our Discord about the scariest stuff in their basement. Okay. Um, oh, uh, plant. So we, we didn't do uh, grade. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. Plant Dad gets an F minus as totally. the antagonist of the novel. <laughs> do you? And do you think so? You gave Mom what a C minus. I would have given her like a C plus. No, B-. I, I give I give Mom like a D. D. Like a solid yeah. D. Yeah. 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 Like you can do better, but I'm not gonna fail you. Yeah, I'm not gonna fail her because she still okayed the new pool table. Like mm-hmm. that seems like a good deal to me. But like Plant Dad gets an F minus for being literally the antagonist of the book, but then I think Real Dad also gets an F minus for yep. doing horrible genetic experiments in the basement and like not feeling bad enough about it to stop. <laughs> and here's a question: Is Flower Dad the real dad? Think about it. Think about it. I don't think Flower Dad is the real dad, but I also don't know that we can be sure exactly that Closet Dad was the real dad. In the TV episode, apparently it ended with a bunch of Flower Dads talking. Yes. Spooky. Spooky stuff. Uh, so some, some scary creepy, stuff. Creepy basement stuff. Cre- creepy basement stuff. Uh, Mon has, like, their parents have actual taxidermied animals in their basement that's spooky there's more than that's, 20 that's of them. spooky no, no matter you. what room it's in nora has laundry which is very scary I, i'm scared of doing laundry i mean i just like the the repetitiveness of it like you always need to do laundry that's what's scary about it. <laughs> uh joe pill says neighbors talking to neighbors in the communal laundry basement is scary mm-hmm. uh John says our basement has what looks like a cabinet door, but is actually a shoulder level a shoulder level entry to a pitch dark crawl space. Probably that. 
Yeah, probably that. What's the scariest thing in your basement, Andrew? Um, Either basement. You're carrying two basements right now. The basement, the new house, basement, the old house. Yeah. The scariest thing about the basement in the current house is probably... Hmm, how how to say something that doesn't jeopardize the sale of my current home <laughs> to somebody else? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Like uh, the bathroom's pretty small. It's so scary when the door closes. It's really scary. Yeah. I nothing. I'm not too scared of my current basement. I did have a a previous basement at a rental place that had an unexplained blanket hanging in front of part of a wall yeah it's normal kind of felt like it was like a hell mouth behind that blanket whenever i was down there sure didn't like it also the, the new place my backyard is scarier than my basement you're yes. especially if you're talking about plant like yep. potential plant monster yep. <laughs> in general plants in the basement not good no, you don't want them in the basement or anywhere near the basement, it turns out. Roots can really mess with your foundation. In this that's... is a PSA from me to you. Plants in the basement are no joke. Unless you're running like a grow operation, like that's your own business. Yeah. Um, okay. Andrew, thanks for going down to the basement with me, even though we weren't supposed to. You're welcome. Uh, Anytime. Preferably next time we'll just do the pool table and we won't look at the wailing tomato man. But... Yeah. yeah, we'll just play some pool. Um, yeah. I like. I prefer to play nine ball. Um, you can send us an email about your scary basement uh, to overduepod at gmail.com, Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. Next up is Monster Blood. This one, this one whips. I mean, stay out of the basement whips too. It These really are all, does. all the other Goosebumps books we're going to read. They all whip, but Monster Blood's a, a goat contender. Yeah, Goosebumps wise. Okay, all right, coming out strong. Um, Andrew, if folks want to know more about our show, where should they go? This is the version that everyone will get. Yeah, I know. Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have books that we have read and are going to read. Uh, click the links. Buy the books. We get money. Your bookseller, your local independent bookseller gets money. You get a book. Uh, if you are hearing this early, it is because you are a Patreon subscriber. Patreon.com slash pod for everybody else. Uh, if you want to get these bonus episodes early if you want to sit in on some of our episode recordings if you want to join our new discord server our patreon project has all the info you need to get that stuff happening yeah mm -hmm. uh what's the goosebumps book that we're reading yes you already said monster blood i don't think there's anything else right nope monster blood and after that will be say cheese and die again okay what do we say at the end of every episode of goosebumps stay out of the basement